22, Luke chapter 22. I'd like to follow up on a few thoughts from our message this morning from 1 Peter. It's fascinating to consider the human that the Holy Spirit used to inspire this letter. Peter's a fascinating character. And I know we've looked at Luke chapter 22 in this particular portion before, but I'd like to remind you of it in the context of what we looked at this morning. Peter wrote in the epistle, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear." Peter is writing to us to be on guard and to live holy lives and to pray, call on the Father. Then if you flip over, though, to where we looked um, this morning also, in chapter 4, or I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 8, We have the admonition of be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now flip to Luke chapter 22, and look with me at verse 31. And the Lord Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. We spent some time this morning discussing the importance for us to gird up the loins of our mind, for our minds to be on alert, for our minds to be sober, not lulled to sleep, and for us to hope in the grace that is to be revealed in Christ Jesus. We talked a little about the fact that there are conspiracies, how we handle conspiracy theories. By the way, there's a lot more that could be said on that topic. But one of the conspiracies we looked at, which is not a conspiracy theory but is a real conspiracy, is the devil, the roaring lion. Peter knew that by experience. He had that experience. He had that battle. He had that war. And Jesus even warned him of it, just as we are warned ourselves. Peter, even being warned of this, thought, no, I'm strong. I can handle it. I can handle Satan. He didn't say it that way. The way he said it, if we look here in verse 33, he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And you know the account within a matter of hours. Peter denied Jesus three times. And Jesus warned him of that too. Verse 34, he said, I tell thee, Peter, 
The cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. I wonder as Peter reflected on the words the Holy Spirit inspired him to write about girding up the loins of your mind, about being sober and about hoping to the end, if he perhaps remembered this day. Later this night, he was one of the ones who fell asleep. It's interesting here in this, you notice here, it's I pray for thee. I, I, I am humbled by this. The creator of all things, the one who created the devil. Now, he didn't create him as a wicked, evil angel. He created him in holiness and goodness. But the one who created him identifies him as an enemy, and then his solution to it is what? The creator himself says, I'm going to pray for you. What an example set for us. And then as the hours went by, Peter found himself lulled to sleep in exhaustion. I mean, in a sense, humanly, we can see why. He needed to be sober, girding up the loins of his mind and hoping to the end. Truly, I believe that if he had done so, there would have been victory that day, save apart from the fact that this is a prophecy. There's a mix of the sovereignty, prophecy, will of God, and man's human responsibility. Do you see it? You know, there is a conspiracy. I'd like to do a little bit of a survey through some scriptures and read some scriptures together to alert us to the, this issue. The Bible teaches us that Satan is a real person. He's not some imaginary figure that's in some imaginary hell wearing red pajamas with a, pork, a pointy tail and a pitchfork. No, he is a mighty, powerful, angelic being who is the enemy of God and the enemy of all who are created in God's image. And he is active and he is working. Yes, the scriptures speak of a day when he will be bound for a thousand years, but that's not right now. First Peter clearly makes it clear to us that right now he is walking upon the earth as a roaring lion looking to devour people. Just as he was that night with Peter, he wanted to sift him. Now, just to let you know, I don't believe Satan actually got to sift Peter because, yes, Peter failed. Yes, Peter sinned. Peter denied his Lord. But in the end of that account, Peter shines forth in the grace of God as he, just a matter of days later, is preaching to the multitudes in Jerusalem with courage and boldness that is undescribable human boldness. But Satan is active and he is busy and we, we see things. And, 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 and like I said this morning, it's, it's no surprise that there's conspiracies. In fact, we identify the conspiracy. We identify the source of the conspiracies. So many conspiracies are in, indeed Satan. And it's illustrated, and yet perspective is given in Psalms. Turn with me to Psalm 2. Psalm 2. There's much here given, and it's describing some things, and it's describing how God is working, and yet there's this, this human versus God situation going on. But then we're going to look here at Psalm, and it shows it kind of the human beings versus God. And then we're going to turn over to Daniel, and Daniel's going to give us a glimpse into history in his day, which is going to show us another perspective from the spiritual world. 
So look with me here as we read together Psalm chapter 2. Why? Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. We look forward to this day. This is really that declaration there of hope to the end and the grace that shall be revealed in Christ Jesus. There's, there's, there's an extension reference of this is what's described. We're, we're in a time still when the nations and the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing, which ought to cause us to gird up the loins of our minds, to be sober, and to hope to the end for the grace that shall be revealed in Christ Jesus. He's coming, and the kings of the earth need to be ready. And so when we ask the question, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Well, it's interesting that that question is kind of answered in this psalm, but it's not. Have you ever noticed that? It's there, but really, do you see how the psalmist redirects the attention not to the question of the heathen, but to the fact that there's one coming which will take care of all of this? I think there's a lot for us to learn in that. Yes, we understand it. We see the heathen raging. We, we see what happens in the political realm around us. We see things. It's just how does this happen? How does this insanity come about? We hear the wars and the rumors of wars and the threat of war in Israel and Gaza this week. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? And, and indeed, there is this aspect of the kings of the earth in a conspiracy. But in the end, at all, if you look at all of this, the, the, the real need for all people when they ask this question is found <clears throat> down here in verse 11. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun. Become the friend of the eternal Son of God. That's the Lord Jesus Christ because he's coming one day in judgment. But all those who have put their trust in him shall be delivered. But let's linger on this question a moment longer. And I just said we shouldn't. We should linger on the return of Christ and his, his will done on earth, his kingdom come. But there is a biblical answer as to why the heathen rage. 
Turn with me over to Daniel. Daniel. I'm dying of curiosity as we turn to Daniel. How many of you think you know where I'm going and what we're going to talk about? Okay, a few of you. Good. This is important. This is, a, this is a very important thing for us to understand because so often in our society, Satan doesn't appear as the roaring lion. He's still a roaring lion, and he's still walking about seeking whom he may devour. But he is smart, and he knows that in this time of history, in this part of the world, that he cloaks his teeth. And he, instead of appearing often as the roaring lion or the witch's demon, appears as an angel of light. He comes and he is presenting and moving himself as a very spiritual person, good, moral, social just person when he's not. And it's fascinating because in Daniel chapter 10, we get a glimpse into the spirit world. We get a glimpse from Daniel, who is this prophet of God, who is also a royal official in a foreign kingdom. And he's a royal official because he is a faithful, trustworthy man. He's also a praying man. Just as a note, you may hear and read a lot about spiritual warfare, much of spiritual warfare in the sense of demons and their interactions with us as human beings is not a battle that we need to be fighting on our own. In fact, I should make that statement stronger. It is a battle we must not fight on our own because we'll lose. Satan, his host of demons, are much more powerful than us, are much more smarter than us, if I can say it that way. They're brilliant! I mean, you want to talk about a major in psychology. The devil's got it. He has studied human beings for generation after generation after generation. And there are wars. There is a situation here in Daniel chapter 10 where Daniel comes and in prayer seeks God. And as soon as he began his prayer, a messenger was sent to him. But there was a problem. Because it says that someone delayed this messenger for 21 days. And it wasn't until, and this messenger is angelic, or there's a debate as to whether it's angelic or Christ, actually. And this messenger is coming to Daniel in answer to his prayer. And Daniel keeps praying for 21 days, three weeks. And when this messenger finally arrives, he explains to Daniel that as soon as he began to pray, he was sent. But on his way, he was held up by a king. The prince of the kingdom of Persia, he says, withstood me. As we read this, we learn to find that there are spiritual battles behind the scenes that are taking place. And there are demons, as well as the devil himself, who are influencing and moving and working in the lives of powerful men to accomplish things. In the human realm, physical realm, 
but there is a whole battle behind the scenes. And we see throughout Scripture little glimpses into this world. Remember Elisha Dothan? Remember that? The host of the angelic army and the mountains all surrounding there for Elisha's sake? Then later, the same Syrians in another situation, another time, heard a host about them, but there was no host, but there was a host. Here we've got a battle and a situation and the deal going on, and Daniel gives us a glimpse into it, and it's very fascinating that it has to do with prayer. Prayer. Let's read this chapter. We don't have time this afternoon to go into exegeting in its full details. It's a, it's a very exciting chapter. We see a, a beautiful um, anthropomorphism uh, vision of, of God himself in this chapter. And, and it's a result of Daniel seeking God in prayer. Daniel writes in chapter 10, verse 1, And the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar, and the thing was true. But the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing and had understanding of the vision. In those days... I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all, till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Not only was Daniel praying, here he's describing himself as one who is mourning. He's mourning and fasting. He is grieved by things, and the context of it is in chapters, the previous chapters, of the sin of his people and of the nation of Israel. And he's longing for God to move on behalf of Israel. And so he's mourning, he's fasting, he's not even bathing himself. And it's for three full weeks. And in the four and twentieth day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, which is in Hedekal, then I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of Athaz. His body also was like the burl, and his face as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like in color to polished brass, and the voice of his words was like the voice of a great multitude." And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone and saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, then was I in a deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground. He saw God. He saw a manifestation of the glory of God in a vision. Took all strength from him. He finds himself lame with his face toward the ground. Verse 10. And behold, an hand touched me, which set me upon my knees, 
and upon the palms of my hands. Are you imagining it with me? He's flat on his face. Now he's on his hands and knees. A hand has touched him, lifted him up, helped him up. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. He went from being prostrate on the ground this one touched him, lifted him up to his hands and knees. Do you see that beautiful greeting? Oh, Daniel, greatly beloved. Tells him to stand upright, and he lifts him upright, and Daniel describes himself now, standing upright, trembling. You would too. You'd seen this. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel. For from the first day, 21 days ago, from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remain there with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. And when he had spoken such words unto me, I set my face toward the ground, and I became dumb. He's back on the ground again. And behold, one like the similitude of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spake and said unto him that stood before me, O my Lord, by the vision, my sorrows are turned upon me, and I have retained no strength. For how can the servant of this, my Lord, talk with this, my Lord? For as for me, straightway there remained no strength in me, neither is there breath left in me. I'm trying to refrain myself from going into all of this. You, you know what we've got going on here? We have a, a clash of human beings who are creating the image of God, angels, and God himself, all involved in this situation. Did you realize that prayer is that powerful? I mean, have you thought about it? Prayer is the junction of which the spiritual Armies of angels, both good and evil, are assembled in warfare. God ruling supreme over all. And we're the little puny human beings that can't even get on our hands and knees in this whole situation. 
Verse 18. Then there came again and touched me one like the appearance of a man. Notice here the notations of the appearance of a man. That's the reason why there's so much, a degree of debate as to the identity of who's all taking place here. Because angels often do appear in the appearance of men. God, though a spirit, were made in his image and he appears often before even the incarnation in the appearance of a man. Coming back here, before we keep going on, you, you see the prince of the kingdom of Persia, and then we have these Persian princes, and we have this, this prince named Michael. We know by looking at other passages and comparing the significance of Michael, we know Michael to be an archangel, just like Gabriel is another angel that Daniel had personal conversations with. These kings of Persia, the, the, this whole situation, they're, they're human people, but yet there seems to be also angelic or rather also, not rather, but also demonic presence going on here. This is an angelic war. It's, it's amazing, the question and the identity of who this messenger is. Some have thought of this messenger as an angel, and um, I, I, the, I, in my renewal of this, I've studied this some years ago, and, and refreshing on it, as I can recall from my memory and my study, is, is that this messenger is the pre-incarnate Christ. There's some indications of that here in what we just read about my Lord here in verse 17, and this exchange that's going on there, and the fascination of what's going on there. And and this prince of Persia, and, and there's this conflict, and yet Michael is coming involving in here? Really fascinating. Coming, continuing on here now, verse 18, we hadn't finished even the chapter. Then there came again and touched me, one like the appearance of a man, and he strengthened me and said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be unto thee, be strong, yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. Then said he, Knowest thou whereof I come unto thee? And now I will return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. But I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth. And there is none that holdeth with me in these things. But Michael, your prince... As we look and compare these, what's going on here, we find that there are demons engaging with the prince of the kingdom of Persia. There are demons engaging with the prince of Greece. And there is an angel, a prince, with Israel. We find that in other passages throughout the Old Testament as well, confirming that Michael the archangel is a special archangel designated to the nation of Israel. Chapter 11 goes on with some amazing prophecies. But this you can see. There's, there's, there's a degree of, of fuzziness in this chapter of, of not real clear who's who and who's all moving and who's all working. That's one of the fascinating pieces of if we wanted to get caught up in a conspiracy theory, that's part of the conspiracy. Who is really working behind the scenes? 
When we come to modern conflicts, who is really working behind the scenes? What is really going on in the angelic world? Where are the angelic armies that surrounded Dothan and what's taking place and how are they shaping and influencing the movements of mankind? Daniel chapter 10 gives us a glimpse yet again into this world. But there's another glimpse I'd like to tell you about. Because it's important for us to know we're in this battle. But can I caution you on something? Just as the question was kind of asked back in Psalm 2, and other contexts come to play, we can be unduly obsessed with the spirit world. You know where we need to not be obsessed but have our focus? On our Savior. Let me illustrate this to you by turning over to the book of Jude. We have another conspiracy. I'll bet you didn't know this. Maybe you did. But did you know that there is a huge conspiracy about the body of Moses? You guys know that? How many of you knew that? Oh, God. There was a conspiracy about the body of Moses. And you're like, really? Yeah. And it wasn't until Jude was inspired by the Holy Ghost to record for us this situation of Moses' body. You remember, to just give you a little bit of the history back in the days of Moses, that Moses went up on Mount Nebo and he saw the promised land over the Jordan River. And as he was climbing that mountain up to Nebo all by himself, he waved goodbye, he'd given a farewell speech, a sermon to the people of Israel, and he waved to them goodbye as he climbed that mountain. The last anyone saw him. But what happened to him? Well, we find out in Jude. It tells us here in Jude, verse 9, Yet Michael, the archangel, remember Michael is the angel specially assigned to Israel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. <laughs> you think, what? There was an argument. There was a fight. There was a war between Michael and Satan, both archangels, one serving God, one God's enemy, over the body of Moses. Now, I'm not going to speculate as to why they were having this fight. It doesn't say why they were having the fight. It doesn't say why there was this disputation over it. But it's very interesting what it says about Michael. So Michael is an archangel. Satan, the devil, is also described as an archangel. Arch means ruler, ruling angel. Powerful beings. And look what it says here. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, and look at this phrase, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. Now, if Michael the archangel durst not engage Satan, but rather appeals to the greatest power, what do you think we ought to do? We too ought to appeal to the greatest power and follow the, follow the example set by Michael. 
the Lord rebuke thee. I'm not even going to try to fight you, Satan. I'm going to be like Daniel on my knees in prayer, knowing that God's the one who's going to fight this. And this is fascinating because we compare this back with, with Daniel, and there's this aspect where Daniel comes and helps the messenger to deliver and help him get through. And then meanwhile, and then here now it's Michael is having this contention, and it's with the Lord. The, the whole spirit realm, the whole I don't want to call it a conspiracy because we oftentimes think of conspiracies as jokes, hoaxes. And, and, and they're not always. This is a very real one. But our interaction with it is not by somehow spells or incantations or some kind of even special magical prayers or, or trinkets or crucifixes or holy water or anything like that. No, we don't play games with the demonic forces. In fact, our engagement with them is not in our own power or authority. It's the Lord rebuke thee. So when we read in Peter, notice here again in chapter 5. This morning I made the comment we can't start in verse 8, right? Why did I make that comment? Why was that so important to me? It's based upon the principle in Jude and other places. It starts back up in verse 6. If we're not doing verse 6 and we try to engage in verse 8 without verse 6 and 7, we're in trouble. We're going to lose. What is it? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. That's done through prayer, but it's also a key description of faith. When this is done, then be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Whom, this devil, resist. And you say, oh, well, there it is. I'm supposed to resist him steadfast, and it's, a, it's, it's really intently in the faith. What's in the faith? In the faith is independence upon God. Faith is true, truly belief, but there has to be a source in which the belief is in. It is faith in God, in Christ. And then recognizing that what we're going through is actually quite common. There is a great conspiracy. And I plead with you, as moms and dads and as individuals, as children, Satan desires to sift every one of us. He desires to have us. He desires to devour us. Are we aware of this conspiracy? And are we alert to it in our homes? I'm not telling you to be fretful. In fact, you're not supposed to be. You're supposed to be casting all your care upon him. I'm begging you not to be fretful, but for you to gird up the loins of your mind and to be sober and hope to the end in the grace of God, looking to that re the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are in a battle. Moms and dads, you need to talk about it together. 
You need to be looking and identifying of how the roaring lion is meddling in your house or on the perimeter of your house. I don't mean just physically. In the hearts of yourselves and of your children. And how are you conducting in this battle? Are you praying for yourselves, for each other, and for your children? It's a real war. And though it's somewhat fuzzy to us, we can't see it. We don't understand it. We look here and are there angels in our midst? I believe yes. In fact, 1 Corinthians 11 would make it pretty clear that there are angels in our midst. We don't see them. Hebrews makes it very clear that people have ministered to angels unawares, meaning they didn't know they were ministering to angels. The same is true with demons. How are we engaging in this fight? There is a real conspiracy, and this is the reason why I'm so passionate that we not be distracted by so many minor little conspiracies. They're distractions from what's real. And let's focus on not our enemy, but on our God. And as the problems come, we be alert and we give them to God and we beg him. Did you see the earnestness of Daniel? 21 days he prayed. Every day. Now, Daniel, I believe, knew in a situation what he was praying about, what was going on, was world dominion major issues. But you know, God cares about our little issues just as much. And he wants to hear from us about it. And he wants us to cast our care on him and trust in him. So let's do as 1 Peter says. Knowing we have an inheritance and a glorious salvation and a living hope, gird up the loins of our minds. Let us be sober and let us hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And you know, when this happens, it's going to result in some other things that has to do with obedience. That's one aspect here. It's not just about praying on our hands and knees, and we're going to come back to this as we come continue through First Peter, but you know, as obedient children. And this isn't talking to little children, by the way. Our lesson last week on obedience is important, so important for us to teach children obedience. Do you know why? So that as they grow older, their obedience is not just to parents, but is most importantly to God. And so when we look at this from the whole perspective, it's filled with richness. I hope it makes a difference in our lives. Please, I beg you not to be hearers only of the word, but doers of the word. Father, thank you for your word. Teach us and help us to know in our own situations, in our own battles, in our own families, how to apply it. Lord, I can't apply it in every situation, in every home of the families who are here this afternoon or this morning, but you can. I pray that each family would humble themselves under your mighty hand, that each family would seek you, that each family would hope and trust in you, and that these things would be real in their lives. We praise you now as we commit ourselves to you. In Christ's name, amen.